This is a series called the Joy Series. Somebody, somebody told me this morning, they looked at that graphic, and they said, what's this joy series? <laughs> Get that. Joy and joy okay? Uh, that'd be a good series, too. That'd be a tough one, though. Um, anyway, um, we're talking about joy from the book, New Testament book. We call it a book. It was really an epistle written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, it's called Philippians. Theme in this, and we call, as I say, a New Testament book. We call it a uh, the theme of that book is 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 joy. Um, four chapters. Um, obviously, when Paul wrote it, it, you know, there weren't chapter. He didn't write a letter to the church at Philippi and, and write down chapter one, verse one. He didn't. That's, we did that about the tenth century or so. So um, um, it, people did that. I wasn't there, uh, but. Um, and, and so he wrote this, this letter, and, and if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago when I talked about the Apostle Paul, and I just sort of gave a, a brief bio of his life, um, what's amazing is he writes this epistle, this letter, while being basically chained to a, to a praetorian guard, a Roman guard. He's under house arrest. He's writing about joy. That's kind of a challenge, huh? And, uh, but there's a great message in that, of course. So he, he, he writes this, 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 this epistle, uh, to these Philippians, and he talks about joy, and we're we're talking about it in six different ways. When we get through, we've already looked at um, at three of them. Uh, we talked about joy in community, friendship, fellowship, things like that. Joy in bad circumstances, and uh, that's when I went into great detail as to the circumstance from which Paul was writing this epistle. Uh, and then, and then last week was joy in selflessness, and today it's joy in imperfections. Now, what do I mean by imperfections? I think by, because of what you heard from the song and, and Steve's words and so forth, you probably got that figured out by now. But just in case you don't, here's what I mean by a lot. That there is some joy, and I'm using the word joy in just a sort of a broad stroke type of way, um, that there is joy, fulfillment, happiness along the journey. And uh, when we understand that neither of us is perfect, and we ain't going to be this side of eternity, Okay? There's some, there's, some, there's some joy in that, in understanding you're not perfect, I'm not perfect. And because the opposite of that is just frustration and, and disappointment with others as well as with yourself. Um, we're, granted, we're to be striving for, for a better way. We're to be striving for perfection. But we need to understand that this side of, of eternity, this side of meeting the Lord, whether He comes back or we go to meet Him, um, we're not going to achieve that. And it's important for us to understand that because otherwise we're going to live a life that's just one, one disappointment after another, and people will disappoint us. You know, um, in weddings, whenever I do a wedding, um, did one, did one, yes, yes, no, Friday, did one Friday. Interesting wedding. It was in Lambertville. So it's, I can write a book on weddings. I always enjoy them, and, and, and I always know the people pretty well, and, and it's kind of fun, you know, seeing such an important part of their life and being, a, being there and being a part of it in some small way. I've never had this before. At the end of the wedding, the bride gave her groom a horse. A horse, a real horse. They're horse people, obviously. Um, and, and, and the wedding was over, and, and he, they walked down the aisle. It was outside, and this guy rides up on the horse. And she says, honey, this is what I got for you for, for your wedding present. Isn't that cool? I looked at Charlene and I said, how come you didn't get me a horse? And we got married. <laughs> and then she said the most astute thing. She said, where would we have put it? <laughs> oh, gee, I never thought about that. I was thinking of the gift. Anyway, what I do in weddings every time, every time, 
in the vows. I have something along these lines. And I always talk to the bride and groom about it and make sure they're okay with it and everything. Um, and if they're not, we talk some more. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and here's what I say. I say, um, you know, I promise to forgive you as we have been forgiven. Part of, in some form of the vows. Because I want to tell you something. You aren't going to enter into a marriage. You're not going to be married more than 10 days without having to forgive somebody, uh, the other person, or her, you, or, 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 or vice versa, a few times. And you know that. You know what I'm talking about there. So, and it's the same thing in every area of our lives. If we don't enter into this thing with some realistic understanding and expectation of forgiveness, that, that we're, we're, we're doomed. So that, that all has to do with this whole thing of, of these imperfections and dealing with those imperfections and that there's really some joy in understanding that and in knowing that. So I want to take you back to the book, uh, the, the New Testament epistle book of Philippians. Um, and uh, it is, uh, we're gonna, I'm going I'm to mostly be in chapter 3, but I want to just start in chapter 1 to get you to understand exactly what the Bible means and this whole concept of having some joy in these imperfections. The first, first chapter in verse 6 is one verse. It says this, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue His work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. I'm especially interested who began the good work within you will continue His work in you. He began that work the day you came to the day you came to faith in Christ. The day, if you can remember it, doesn't matter whether you remember it or not. The the time, the season, whatever it was, when you said, "You know what, Lord, I believe you. I'm trusting you right here, right now." And you may say, "Well, you know what? I'm not quite there yet, Rich." And then we have a, a number of people in any service every Sunday that could could say that. And and I would say, "Great, we're glad you're here." But I have many, many friends who say, I'm, I'm not there. I haven't crossed that line of faith, but I'm in process or something like that. And I'm like, it, it, God's working in them too. He is. He's working in them too. So whoever you are, wherever you are in this whole thing, whether you're in the, in, in, along the, lo- the road and this journey of faith or, 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 or thinking about it or, or, you know, God's at work in you. And, and that's what he's saying here. God who began this work, who began this work, he's going to continue it. He's going to continue his work until basically the day you go meet Christ or he comes back. So that's the first verse. Now, go, we go over to chapter 3, and we pick it up in verse 7. After the Apostle Paul has written a whole bunch, a whole litany of who he was in terms of he was a Jew of Jews, so to speak. Here in the East Coast, we would say he was a blue blood, okay? Uh, tried through and through. He, he, was, he, was, of the Pharisee, he was a Pharisee. Um, and that was when they used the word in a good way. It was a really, really big honor to be a Pharisee in, Jew- in Judaism at that time. He was a Pharisee. He was part of the Sanhedrin, which is like the, the, the Supreme Court of, uh, of Judaism and so forth. He was a big deal, and he came from a big family. And all. His father was a part of the Sanhedrin. So he was a big deal in Judaism. He makes that clear. And then he says this. Verse 7, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and obey and become one with Him. I no longer count, watch, watch this right here, watch this, 
I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. That's the, Mos- the law of Moses. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. That's a big statement right there. I, I don't know if you fully can comprehend that statement without understanding totally the context in which he's making it. He's saying all this... Here's what he's saying. I'm going to be... I mean, I'm not going to... He's pretty... Paul was a pretty raw guy, pretty earthy guy. I mean... He, he, in, his, in his day, in his connotation, he used some pretty earthy language to make his point. Never, never using the Lord's name in vain or anything like that or disrespectful of God. But just to make his point, he would use some earthly language. And basically he's saying, this is all a bunch of crap. He maybe even said it stronger. Um, this is all a bunch of crap. This, this being this and doing this and doing this compared to knowing who Christ is and having him at work in my life. That all that stuff, crapo, you know, doesn't matter. Glad your kids aren't in here. It's so hard for some of you. Just because the pastor says that word, you cannot use that word. I've heard that lecture a few times from some of you, so I'm trying to be better. But, but, but that, that's really his point here, okay? That's really his point, okay? And, 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 and he's, he says... <laughs> I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. I become righteous through faith in Christ. These people are reading this. They're going, wow, really? It's just about Christ? Yeah. It's just about Christ. Wow. And he goes on, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. You know, so many times... And I've probably done it, I'm not aware of it, but I, so many times we in the church, I'm going to say we as the church, I'm going to say the big, big C, big, you know, church, you know, you, those of us who are clergy, and I'm going to put myself in that category, even though I hope I haven't done it, probably have. But we have, we have so many times made the Christian life so much about behavior, managed behavior, you know, um, sin management, somebody calls it. We've so much made it about that, and, and, and as a result, the message of grace gets lost. And, and with good intent, we don't, you know, I don't want you doing stuff that's going to hurt you, and sin does. Whenever I do it, I get hurt. Whenever somebody does it to me, I, they get hurt, I get hurt. I don't want you doing it, but I mean, the point is, so many times the message of grace gets lost, and that's what he's trying to communicate here. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. It's not about the doing and the doing and the doing and the doing and the doing, oh, and the not doing and the not doing and the not doing and the not doing. We need some of that just for civility and in some cases for morality and because the Bible does give us some, some boundaries on how we are to live our lives, but it doesn't make us one whit more acceptable to God. It's all about faith. The apostle wants to make that point to him, and I want to tell you something, in a different context, in a different way, that message is just as revolutionary today as it was then. It's just about faith, folks. It's just a matter of trusting Jesus. Inevitably, I have these conversations. Usually by about the fourth or fifth hole, I get into these conversations in my office. Uh, and and, and um, my office is the golf course. You missed that point. But anyway... Um, Usually about the fourth or fifth floor, I get somebody new or somebody I'd maybe I'd know and we haven't had many conversations about faith or whatever, and they'll say to me, and some of you guys have been there when this has happened, um, so, you know, you know, what do you do? I'm, I'm a minister, and of course, oh, we can't cuss, and I'm like, yeah, well, okay, I don't care. You know, it's between you and God, not me and you. And, um, and then, and then um, 
often it goes into other conversations. Well, you, you know, left out about their church. I said, so I had this conversation with somebody the other day, the caddy. I said, uh, we were by ourselves over there. We're usually in when I'm playing golf, me and the caddy over there somewhere else. Everybody else is over here. And um, that's not good, by the way. And, uh, and so we were just chatting, and I said, and they were telling me they were, uh, went to the Catholic church somewhere around here. I'm not sure where. And I said, so are you a follower of Christ or are you Catholic? And they just, it, I, I didn't mean it to be a trick question. I really didn't. I was just trying to be friendly. And they, and, and, and I'm really, I was, honest. <laughs> and it stumped them. And they were like, um, and then I felt bad. And I said, you know, you can say both. Oh, I'm both. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, it led to other conversations. But so many times it comes back to, well, I'm a member of this church. And, and you know, I, I try to keep the Ten Commandments. Yeah, really? First of all, you don't. You're lying. Because the Ten Commandments aren't just about what you do. It's also what's in your heart. You know, and I don't usually go into that much. But I say, it's all about faith. It's all about faith. So, so I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And then he goes on in verse 10. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. So that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection of the dead. What does that mean? It means that he wants to experience the power of the resurrection of the dead. The power that God used to raise Jesus from the grave. I want that same power in operation in my life. Why do I need that power? Oh, addictions. Biggest addiction we all have. You say, I'm not an addictive personality. We all have one big addiction. Talked about that a couple weeks ago. It's called selfishness. We all got that. We're all addicts to that. And believe me, we need the power of God to overcome selfishness. Sometimes more than others, but we need it desperately. And that's what he's asking for there, that I will experience this power, the resurrection from the dead, that, that same that God had. Then he goes on, verse 12. This is, listen, verse 12 and, and 13 and 14 um, we could just read this the rest of the day and do, and, 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 and do pretty well with it because it's just so encouraging. Now, keep in mind, have you got it up there yet? No, you don't have it up there yet. Good. Um, this verse, these, these, this writing, I had, one of those, I had one of those moments in the 9 o'clock service. I'm talking about Paul when he's writing this. And I didn't prepare to say this, and I said this, and it just hit me. I, uh, here's what I was saying, when, when, and, and then this thought came to my mind that was just uh, awful. Um, I, was saying, I was saying, the Apostle Paul, I want you to understand, folks, the Apostle Paul is writing this 30-ish years after he becomes a believer. He's a very old man writing this. When I said he's a very old man writing this, I've got to tell you, the thought came to my mind. He's in his 60s or 70s. That's a terrible thought. Anyway, I called him old, folks. I called him old. He's 60-something, okay? He's not old. What was wrong with me? What was I thinking? It was one of those thoughts that you have one of those moments. You're like, did I just say that? These people know how old I am. Uh, anyway, he was, he was in his, probably in his 60s, probably, or maybe 70s, I hope. And... Uh, but he'd been around a while. He'd been around a while, and, and he's right as a guy who has walked with the Lord for well over 30 years. 
and, uh, and has really, he, certainly before that, he'd done some pretty bad things, persecuted people from that new sect called Christians. He'd persecuted them and so forth and so forth. But since that, that, that Damascus Road, I talked about it two weeks ago, that Damascus Road experience where he literally has a, a literal come-to-Jesus meeting with Jesus, and, and, and he comes to Christ and from that time onward, he has done some amazing things. Started churches in some of the most remote part. Of course, I guess everything was remote back then. But in some of the most remote places of the earth, as he in his missionary journeys up through modern day Turkey and Greece and so forth, and uh, just just amazing stuff he's, he's done. Keep in mind that. Keep that in mind when we read these next verses. Look what he says, verse twelve. I love this. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things, or that I have already reached perfection. Thank you, Jesus. The great Apostle Paul, writing late in his life, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. There's hope for me yet. Because we're all right there with him. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. One thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting the past. He's forget- and that's not just the bad stuff, folks. That's what I'm trying to explain. It's not just the bad stuff. It's the good stuff. I'm not going to rest on my, on my past. I'm not going to rest on my resume, so to speak. Look what I've done. I'm moving on, baby. I'm moving on. I love that attitude. Um. Focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race, that's his life, and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is, or Christ Jesus, is calling us. That's just some amazing stuff to me when you stop and reflect upon that. Haven't achieved it yet. People say that to me all the time. I'm not there yet. Well, neither am I. None of us are. But here's the importance of the whole thing. Three things, real simple, real simple points. There needs to be a consistent striving. There needs to be a consistent striving. Um, I press on, he says, to possess that, that maturity or that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. We're not there yet, but we need to continue to strive for it. Are we going to reach it? Not, not in this lifetime. Are we going to get better? Sometimes. Are we going to take some steps backwards? Sometimes. You know, but, but we're going to keep striving. We're going to keep striving. If, for, for, for us, to, for God to continue working in us, we're going to keep striving. You know, um, one of the a French uh, uh, canonized as a saint, 1500s, a guy by the name of uh, St. Francis, uh, De, well, in Ohio, we would say De Sales. I think it's De Sales, but um, in French. But he said this, a great, uh, great uh, preacher and uh, so forth, have patience with all things. But chiefly have patience with yourself. Do not lose courage in considering your own imperfections and instantly set about remedying them. Every day begin the task anew. Every day begin the task anew. Every day. Because we have to. Because we're all broken. We're all made out of the same stuff. We all have the same problem. There are different flavors and different issues for some of us. But it's all the same root problem. We're just, we're just sinners. We're just broken people desperately in need of the love of God that comes through Jesus. That's who we are. There needs to be a consistent striving. Number two, 
there needs to be a continual, I didn't like this word, so best I could do, a, a continual purging. All I could think about was whenever you move, you purge, you know, and we're, we're, we're in the process of probably getting some new offices. Um, so anyway, I'm not positive yet, but I've started to get a head start and start cleaning out my office. And you just, you know, 10 years, 9 years in that one little office, I can't believe all the stuff I got in there. I mean, there's, I think there's some dead bodies in there somewhere. It's just amazing. <laughs> You know, and, and you, you've done the same thing. You go in your basement. You've lived there very long. You're like, my goodness. You know, and you find stuff that was like, from, you know, I've been there nine years. I found stuff from 15 years ago. And it, it, it's just amazing. And that's part of the purging process. And, and I took a new, I took, a, and, you know, what's really different with me is now more and more, I'm getting more and more of my books right here, baby, right here, which is great. So when you ask me to borrow a book, I'm going to say, eh, can't help you, sorry. Um, but I got a bunch of them you can use. Anyway, um, Purging books and all that kind of stuff. It's painful. That's painful because you feel like you're parting with some old friends in some cases. But anyway, we know what purging is. Now I'm talking about purging in terms of our own lives. And by that I mean just basically, okay, listen, I did that and that was great or that wasn't so great. I got this in my background and that's not so great. And, 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 and then you're like, it's called baggage, frankly. You know, just introduced a couple after the last service. Two single people, just introduced them, told them they needed to date. And um, I did, I did that. They, 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 I just introduced them. I said, you date anybody? She said, no. I said, are you dating? He said, no. I said, okay, you guys, just get together and talk, all right? He loves Jesus, she loves Jesus. What else do we need here? Let's go. So anyway, and they were talk, started talking about baggage. It was really pretty cool. They sat out there and talked in front of Winberries for a long time. Um, so just, you know, try to drum up business, you know, more church people, more weddings, you know, just, just, just. <laughs> Got to be working it, got to be working it, you know? And, uh, and so she, she says, you know, and they start off kind of humorously about baggage. And, you know, and one of them had been married before, and one of, them, one, one, one of them had not been married and said, no, I haven't got any baggage. And I said, you don't have any baggage? Do you want me to talk? <laughs> anyway, we laughed about it, but they started talking. We all have baggage. Some of it is just awful. Some of it is stuff that we just want to forget. And we need to. Some of, it is, some of the baggage, frankly, is good baggage, good experiences, great life, great stuff, and great things have happened. And we need to forget that in this sense. Not forget it like wipe it from my brain, but we need to, we, we need to okay, that was that. Thank you, Lord, that I was able to do something, or that worked great, or this is going Thank you, Lord, for that. But now we need to embrace what's new. Embrace the future. Not let the bad stuff pull us back. Not let the good stuff pull us back, because both of it can do that. We can rest on our resume sometimes and say, oh, yeah, I've accomplished this and accomplished this and accomplished this. Great. What are you doing now? You know? That's the thing we have to stop. So there's this, that, that's what we call purging. Here. That's, why, that's why Paul says so clearly here, I focus on one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize from the Lord God. Basically, the heavenly prize is him hearing from God. The words that we see in the Bible, well done, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And those would be great words to hear. And I pray someday I can hear that. There needs to be a continual purging. Okay? Continual consistent striving, continual purging. Third thing, a constant understanding. Constant understanding. I want to go back to that verse in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work 
until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns or when I go to meet Christ. God began a work in me. It's not complete. It is like, I am like the GW Bridge, and you are too. Every time, every time I drive that, that horrible drive, and there's always, always construction. It's like, what is the deal? Why are they always working on this bridge? Maybe they have to do it to keep it up. I don't know. But if you just stop, and this is what I try. I don't do it every time, but I try. Just to stop. Remember, Rich, you're a, it's, this is a continual construction project. You are too. Kind of gives you a little perspective on things, you know? Some people get angry and, and lose impatience with me like I do the traffic at the GW. Um, I'm a, it's a continual construction. We're continual construction projects, folks. Now, remember that, dealing with your, your mate or your friends, wherever they work, club, fun, wherever it is. Remember that. We're all continual construction projects. And that's a good thing. Because I mean, do we go forward? Yeah. Do we go backward? Sometimes. Then we ask, you know, we got to strive to, to, to move forward again. That's the thing. So when we, when, we, when we, this continual or this constant understanding that God is at work in me, and he continues to be at work in me, and he's, by the way, working in the life of those that I love and those that are around me. And we have to stop and reflect and think and remember that's, that's, that's how it is. And that's a, that's a great thing. Let's not forget that. God is continually at work. Wherever I am, Cross the line of faith. I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ. He's at work in me. I'm not quite there yet. He's working in you right now, which is kind of cool, isn't it? He's working work in you right now. Maybe I'm well beyond that. He's still working in me. Here's a guy, follower of Christ for well over 30 years. Let me, let me read something to you, actually. Paul's conversion experience, this is from a commentary, had taken place around 30 years before he wrote to the, to the Philippians. He had won many spiritual battles in that time. He had grown much in those years, but he candidly confessed he had not obtained all this, nor was he yet made perfect. He still had more spiritual heights to climb. This testimony of the apostle reminded the saints at Philippi and serves to remind us believers today that there must never be a stalemate in their spiritual growth or plateau or beyond that which they can climb. There must never be a stalemate. Now, there will be times, I've got to tell you this, there will be times when you're going to feel like there's a stalemate. There will be times when you're struggling. There will be times when you're having some doubts and, 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 and you're going to feel like, gosh, what's wrong with me? And sometimes those times last for months. In some cases, in one case in my situation, it lasted a couple of years. I was a pastor. Huh. What do you do with that? Frustrated and talked to my wife one day. I said, you know, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just, I'm struggling. You know, and, and it's just, feel, things are kind of cloudy. My prayers they don't seem like they're going any further than the ceiling. And, 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 you know, you just talk and pray a little bit and, you know, just keep, keep going on. It, that's, that, that, that happens for all of us. But you just keep moving. You just keep moving forward, asking God to work, asking God to keep working in your life. And you keep, and when I say keep moving, I mean you keep, you keep trying to go, you keep striving. Because there are going to be those times. And I want you to think there aren't. There are. There are going to be those times. But so when you have to just keep going back to the Lord, saying, okay, Lord, you know, I don't know what's going on here. So when I... Yield to you again. If you're listening, I don't know if you're listening, but I think you're listening. I believe you're listening. And sometimes it feels like that. Sometimes not. Sometimes you feel like, man, I am on. You know, I know God's right here and everything's great. But not always. Let me show you a quote that helps me a lot. I think it encapsulates all of this teaching beautifully. 
And that's by Eugene Peterson, who did the translator of the Message Paraphrase Bible. And in a book that he wrote called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, he said this. And this, this to me, is another one of those quotes that I just love. All the persons of faith I know are sinners, doubters, uneven performers. We are secure not because we are sure of ourselves, but because we trust that God is sure of us. I got to tell you, amen. Because sometimes, I don't care who you are, I don't care how far along you are in your faith, I don't care if you're like Paul, 30 years, me, 40-some years, you have some of those, you have some of those things sometimes you're just like, oh, man, I don't know what's going on here. God's still there. God's still there. And I know that. I may not feel it, but I know that. And he always will be. And that's why Paul says, I, I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm going to keep striving for godliness in my life. I'm going to still keep striving to have the right attitudes, that, to, to do the right things and not to do the bad things and have the right attitudes in the process. I'm going to keep striving for that. You know? I'm going to keep striving for that, and I'm going to continually purge by get, you know, forgetting the past and moving forward. And most important, I'm, going to, I'm just going to have that constant understanding that God is working in me and continues to work in me. Sometimes I'm in, I cooperate with him. Sometimes I don't, but God's continually working in me. And, you know, we talked about this a couple weeks ago with joy in bad circumstances, and we can even think through some of those times in our lives, and we're coming up here on a a big one, aren't we? 9-11 going to be on a Sunday. Amazing, isn't it? The 10th anniversary of 9-11 is going to be on a Sunday. I, I mean, thank God. Where else would you rather be? And you think about all that stuff that happened and to be with the presence of other people who are striving to be what God wants them to be and are there to, to worship and praise God. Where else would you rather be? And we're going to have a special service commemorating everything, and, and, and uh, it'll be hard. It'll be hard for all of us. But, but you, you think back even to some of those events, and some of this, as many of you are, I've got a good buddy that was in it, and he and I get together more in August because it starts every year. Every year, he says, need to talk. I said, you call me any time um, as it approaches. And you think back on those things, and you think what God, in my own, my buddy's situation, it's amazing what God has done in his life. Amazing. Through all that crap, 9-11. Wasn't okay. God didn't do it. Haters did it, not God. But God still can use all that crap, all that stuff, and, and use it in, in, a, in a powerful way in our lives. That's why all persons of faith that I know, and I'm one, are sinners, doubters, and uneven performers. And I'm secure not because of who, anything about me, but because of the God in whom I trust. And that's why we trust God. Let's pray. Lord, our Father, we are in awe of the truth and of the teaching that you have for us here in the Scriptures. And God, I pray that each one of us would stop and think and reflect upon where we are in this whole process, what's going on in all of our lives, 
and how you are working in our lives even when we're not totally aware of it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you, God, that I don't, I don't have to behave a certain way to be accepted by you, but that you love me, sometimes in spite of myself, and all of us. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. We thank you for Jesus, who has come to make all that known to us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.